Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect. When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to the Drafting the Circuits program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour. Uh, joining me in the studio, Mr. Richard Uden, Mr. Seth Eggert. What's going on, fellas? Doing uh, good. Real good, thank you. All right. Big weekend. All three major series in action, as well as a lot of uh, junior series as well. We had uh, the IndyCars were in Toronto uh, with a uh, uh, dominant win by Simon Pagano. Um, dominant weekend all around. Um, almost, uh, you know, almost looked like it was going to be a close finish at the end there, but uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, a real close finish in NASCAR there. Um, it's not often we get to see Kyle Busch and Kurt Busch uh, go head to head with one another, and it's also not that often that we see Kurt Busch come up come out on top, but that's exactly what happened in Kentucky, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But let's start off with the British Grand Prix, uh, where Lewis Hamilton took his record sixth win in the event, the hometown guy. Uh, Richard, Yeah. British Grand Prix, that's your home Grand Prix as well, speaking of the, home, the hometown boys. So uh, why don't you take us, yep. through, uh, take us through the British Grand Prix? You know, I know we had another predictable outcome with a Hamilton win, but there was a lot of, uh, lot of interesting stuff in between. There was, yeah, it was a it was a fascinating weekend, really. Uh, again, as uh, as we saw coming off the back of the race in Austria, you know, one of these uh, old school tracks produced, uh, you know, an entertaining and exciting race. Certainly, something for the senior management within the sport to to take note of, I hope. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you went in there and uh, you, you thought the pressure would be a little bit on Mercedes post Austria, where they did for the first time this season they didn't win, um, and you know, again they were. As in every other race bar, um, bar, bar Austria, they were pretty dominant uh, through qualifying and practice. Uh, and you, you expected that. It was the sort of track with the fast-flowing aero, uh, fast-flowing corners will suit their aero and their balance on the car pretty well. They looked good. Um, and uh, you saw them uh, dominate qualifying again, finishing uh, qualifying first and second on the grid. And Hamilton actually made a little bit of a mistake on his on his fastest lap there, and uh, Valtteri Bottas just uh, pipped him by six milliseconds, I think it was, to the pole. Uh, but that was a you know really really good performance by uh, by Valtteri to to get one up on Lewis. 
uh, at his home race. And then into the race itself, uh, off the line, Valtteri, both Valtteri and Lewis got a, a good start there. And for the first two or three laps, they were, were battling at it, uh, you know, pushing each other as hard as they can. Um, and it was fantastic to see that battle between those two drivers. It, it really was. Uh, you don't often see the two Mercedes going as hard at each other as they were there. But uh, I think it was on lap two that a, a great battle through the complex there, through Brooklands and Luffield and uh, along the old start finish straight there. It was uh, it was great to see. Really, really entertaining. And fair play to Valtteri. Uh, he, you know, there was a point where it looked like Lewis had got past him, but he didn't back down. He didn't... Uh, he didn't give in, and he he forced his way back through. Uh, and then everything sort of settled down for a few laps there, and the pit stop strategy, or the pit stop cycle, started to to run through. And uh, Valtteri pitted early on to uh, what you'd presume was a, what was a two stop strategy, which was probably what everybody expected to be the fastest. And uh, Hamilton stayed out just a few laps longer there, uh, still expecting him to go on to the two stop strategy. You just expected him to, to try for the undercut on the uh, pitting a little bit later. And that wasn't really working. Valtteri was starting to put some quick lap times in, which had sort of, you know, taken that out of play. And then uh, Giovinazzi in the in the Alfa Romeo uh, span going into the final corner and uh, beached it in the gravel trap there. And uh, for some reason, they, they're called a full full safety car, which I think was a little bit uh, unnecessary. I thought they could have got away with the virtual safety car there. But... Uh, yeah, yeah, we, don't, we, we don't see the full safety car that often in Formula 1 anymore, no. so they get the now, virtual my, one, so I thought that was an interesting my, call myself. Yeah, my understanding of the rule, now I could very well be mistaken here, is that a full safety car is called when marshals will be on the track, or equipment will be on the track. Now, in this instance, it wasn't. Uh, you know, they didn't need to cross the track. Marshalls didn't need to go onto the track to remove Giovinazzi's car from the gravel trap. So I thought it was a little bit unusual. However, they made the call and they, they made the call. So at that point, uh, Hamilton pitted for the hard tyre uh, and turned it from a two-stop to a one-stop strategy and, and went to the end of the race. And there was no way that um, uh, Bottas was going to get past it. Unfortunately, it, it happened to everybody there. Anybody that made that early sort of uh, call to stop early were caught out by that safety car, which uh, I'm not going to say spoiled the race, but it certainly, you know, denied us of a fantastic battle because I think Valtteri had the had the edge on him there. But, uh, oh, well, I mean, you know, that, that is what it is. It goes around, comes around. Um, but yeah, this behind is, the, and this is how many wins for Lewis now? Uh, yeah. 82, yeah, something he, like that. Yeah. If he carries on, he will beat Schumacher's record quite comfortably, I feel. Um, oh yeah, yeah we've yeah we've mentioned that a few times. So, so, so now, now behind the Mercedes, yeah. Let's t- let's talk about let's talk about Vettel. Vettel yeah. once once again, yeah. a lot of a lot of social media comments about calling for Vettel's head again. So well, uh, so go ahead and describe yeah. describe what happened. He made a mistake. He was battling uh, with with Max Verstappen, and, and Max Verstappen you know made a good pass on him, uh, and and Vettel sort of tucked in behind him uh, going into, I think it was the Vale corner. And, I mean, you know, fair play to, um, you know, Max. Oh, sorry, to, to Valtteri. He turned around and held his hands up and said he made a mistake and he hit the back of Verstappen, uh, which basically ruined both the drivers' races. Um, Verstappen, um, sorry, uh, Vettel dropped to the back of the field and then uh, after that had to change his nose. So he was, I think he was almost a lap down and then he got a 10-second time penalty. So, yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't uh, young Sebastian's finest hour out there uh, at the weekend. 
Um, and uh, Vettel, no, um, oh, sorry, um, you know, Verstappen, I think, finished fifth, I think it was in the end. Um, and he was actually beaten for the first time, I think this season, or first time in a long time, by Pierre Gasly. Now, it was admittedly assisted by the fact that he was punted off the track by Vettel there. But, um, you know, Gasly, you know, from as much criticism as he's come under the last few weeks and months, and quite rightly at times, um, he was he was good. You know, he drove really, really well. And, uh, you know, he certainly improved uh, from, from what we'd seen in the last few, uh, few races. So, uh, you know, yeah, good. I mean, is there, is there anything going on in suspension with the British engineer? I, I, it it, it seems like suddenly like, like a light bulb has come on. Like he's, oh, I'm figured out, you know, just yeah, like, all, like all of a sudden because he was, you know, qualifying, you know, uh, 10, 12 positions behind Max. And, and now, yeah, now suddenly he's right he's right up there kind of you know, holding pace with the most lower. But uh, okay. suddenly Red Bull car where should be uh, ahead of the other ones. Oh yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's, what's gone within the team? But it's certainly been a positive reaction by him, and uh, you know, hopefully that'll continue. Um, but yeah, no, it was pretty impressive. Uh, the two Haas cars decided to, uh, you know, increase Gunter Steiner's blood pressure a little bit. Uh, I, I dread to think how colourful that radio was or the, their post-race debrief. Uh, coming uh, halfway through the the opening lap, they hit each other and uh, both suffered rear punctures um, and the, the damage from the punctures put both the cars out of the race, which was, uh, to say frustrating, is, is probably an understatement. Now, obviously, you know, a lot of people were quite, um, I don't say taken with, that's probably the wrong term, but quite pressed or quite, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the right phrase here, you know, on the F1 um, Netflix or Amazon Prime show, whichever one it was, you know, Gunter Steiner's obviously has some quite uh, colourful language, should we say, and and people sort of bought into that a little bit, and it was all a bit of a long-standing joke. Now, uh, you know, people saying, oh, you know, what'll what'll Gunter be be saying to his drivers? Well, obviously, it is his it is his responsibility that their two drivers don't crash into each other, but you know, they've been doing this a lot, and I wonder if at some point. Uh, Gene House or somebody from within the organization doesn't actually look at Gunter and say, well, hey, the book stops with you, mate. These, these guys keep crashing into each other. You need to control the drivers better. Uh, I'm not saying for one moment it is his fault, but the book stops with him. And uh, mm. I wonder whether, if, if it would ever get to the point where they look to move him on. Although... Could be. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the popular word is that, that you know, Grosjean is out after this year. And uh, and let's let's talk about we didn't get a chance to address this last week, but let's talk about the whole situation with rich energy because that <laughs> that, that, whole, that whole thing is just a, a, a continually changing story depending on who you believe. Oh. So what's uh I mean I mean you know we said we've first we doubted that rich energy actually existed. You know then there's the whole theory of the the empty cans and the the product is not really available and this is a some somewhat of a show business uh, under money for the Russian mob, something like that, and and then all of a sudden now we have Rich Energy is getting sued over their logo, uh, which looks too similar to uh, another logo. And I saw uh, the um, yeah, but I saw, I saw the two logos side by side, and yeah, it's it's pretty much uh, Rich Energy took their logo and added two little lines to it and changed the color. So uh, that seems like <laughs> seems like a legit lawsuit. And now we have you know Rich Rich Energy says they they're going to drop Haas for performance. And, and, sue the, and, the, well. and sue them, and then then 
they say, oh, no, that's not true. That was uh, some rogue employee on Twitter. Mm. And then, then, they, then they are dropping them, and they're not dropping them, and the hospital goes off, and the hospital logo's back on. So I don't – I mean, Richard says, what do you guys know about the uh, – well, where the truth lies in this mess? Well, the last I checked, uh, they're threatening Hoff that they don't remember Dr. Connor, that they're going to take them for the court for Pussy, trying out their own CEO, who sold all of his stock uh, as of yesterday and has now been renamed uh, – uh, Challenge has now been named the Lightning Vulture or something like that. And they're still possibly suing Haas for up to $44 million U.S. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't there an energy drink out there called Volt? Yes. Are, are they just not setting themselves up for another lawsuit? <laughs> <laughs> you know, crazy. Um, it, it's something else, too, uh, because in all of this, uh, there was a couple of weird tweets that just about everyone was scratching their heads uh, that, you know, oh, look at how much uh, Haas Energy loves us, even though we dropped them. And I'm looking at that like, you dropped them via tweet. That's not a legal document. <laughs> so they still have to run the stuff. If that's yeah, yeah. even true stuff. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's all, it's all, the whole Rich Energy saga has been just really interesting from day Can one. I, although, Although I can say that the, I believe that the product actually exists because uh, they were an associate on, um, I believe it was James Davison's car, the, the Indy 500. They had a cooler full of rich energy drinks there in their garage, and I had one, and it tasted like Red Bull in a different can. Can I just make one comment here? You can make all the comments you want, my man. I bet Williams are so glad they dodged that bullet, aren't they? One, one more note. <laughs> one more note. They had that, they suppose they had that agreement with them and then uh rich energy announced their deal with Haas at the u.s grand prix last year didn't they and uh yes yes they did of, uh, upset everybody at williams because they didn't know that it was you know that they were going to make that announcement and uh yeah i bet they're looking back and thinking oh, one, one more note that is getting overlooked as you said there were theories of whether or not this actually existed how or there was empty cans or this or that I remember when this was announced last year, they had announced that they had sold like one million cases of rich energy or something like that. Oh, they, they no, they they didn't say they sold it. They said they produced. Okay, they produced it. They produced okay. it, yeah. But everyone said they can't find it in a store anymore. Well, well, here's the thing: in the two different depositions from the copyright lawsuit, first the original lawsuit, and then in the uh appeal that Haas Energy filed, in one they say they've only produced 300,000 cases, and in the other they say they've sold 130 cans. 130 cans? Yes. That's like 10 cases. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. So. That's if those numbers are actually accurate, too. Well, yeah, I mean, when you're when you're defending yourself in a lawsuit, you're gonna you're gonna 
you're going to downplay it, but when you're when you're trying to boost yourself up as... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and Conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. As a legitimate sponsor, you're going to upplay it. But, I mean, just the, the, the vast difference in those numbers are uh, it's mind-boggling, mind-boggling. So The whole thing reminds me of uh, there was a company uh, named Essex back in the 80s. Uh, came into Formula One, sponsored the Lotus team. Uh, also was a sponsor of uh, Mario on the Penske team in, in the IndyCar series. And then and that, that whole... That guy turned out to be a, you know, a whole. It turned out to be a whole shadow company, and he was a charlatan and whatnot. So, and I, did, I just wonder what, what Rich Energy's real motivation is. Like I say, there's all, there's been all kind of theories that that it's a, you know, it's not a legit company, and it's more of a money laundering business. So, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. Um, then there's another rumor floating that, um, you know, Groshan's going to be out at Haas. And they're going to pick up uh, Robert Robert Kubica because uh, Robert can bring some sponsorship to the team, which Haas would desperately need now. So, but I I don't know how much truth there is to that. I mean, their their drivers are struggling now, and, and Kubica has not been setting the world on fire. Much as I like the guy, and much as I like the story of his struggle and his return, he really hasn't brought the goods. And mind you, the Williams car is, you know. Um, a struggle in itself, but uh, you know, compared to his teammate there, he's he's just way off. So, Richard, you heard anything on that, or is that just idle talk? I think that's idle talk, right? I think there was a lot of other rumors going around in the same sort of breath that uh, Williams were going to swap engine supplies with McLaren, and you know, McLaren take the Mercedes deal, and Renault uh, Williams take the Renault deal. As far as I'm aware, Williams are on the verge of signing a new contract with uh, Mercedes to keep the. Uh, Mercedes engine power going forward. I imagine that would also coincide with uh, Williams keeping George Russell and getting a you know a pick of the young um, you know Williams drivers. So yeah, uh, so... I, I, I think if I mean you could see I mean, next year, could you see um, excuse me Russell and Ock on there? Who knows? Who knows? Yes. Now who was third? Was it uh, Leclerc? Third place? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. So good drive. Uh, overall, it's just pretty to, impressive yeah. with him and Max. You know, they went toe to toe, and uh, he didn't. Uh, you know, Leclerc took no prisoners post uh, Austria. I think he uh, wanted Max to know that he's no pushover. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, those, those two guys are going to be the next two big stars of the series. Oh, no, no, no doubt. No, no doubt in my mind. Going to be. I don't know if they're going to be the next Prost and Senna, but but they certainly are going to be really fun to watch. You know, both those guys are extremely talented, extremely aggressive, and and just quick. 
Yep. You know, so that's it's all good stuff. So where are we off to next? We got one more race before the break. Is that correct? I think we have got two. Two. I think we've got Germany and Hungary. I think. Uh, that would be correct. There we go. Uh, Germany this coming weekend, or do we have a, a week off? Two weeks, yes. Okay, so we have a week off, so, so we can have a week to think about picks for Germany. We have a week to pick yep. Lewis Hamilton. So, Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so the uh, the cars were in Toronto, um, and and yeah, other than Simon leading the bulk of the laps, um, it was a pretty good race be, be behind it there, but the one – the thing that this stuck out to me was uh, Will Power, um, and there's been a lot of talk about this this week. He was just he was off the pace in practice. He was off the pace in qualifying. You know, both of his teammates are up there in the top six. You know, so he he went uh, went ahead and adopted uh, Simon's setup and found it to be even worse for him. And then he made a, a really stupid mistake on, on the opening lap, trying to go three wide into the corner. Uh, you know, and took out about six other cars. Um, caused a full course yellow, and then he just kind of just really struggled the rest of the race, and and then stuffed it in the tire barrier on the final lap, um, and, and just uh, you know just to see Will just looking de- dejected and lost um, after that race. Great, um, and, and to listen to his comments, I'm like, uh, you know what's you know it's like, what has happened? You know, usually you know Will Will's a threat every weekend. I don't know if it was just an off weekend. Not only that. Not only that, but he was a lap down when he crashed as well. And not even just one lap down. He was at the tail end of one lap down. So he ended up only getting credited with completing 83 laps instead of 84 as well, which, I mean, I don't remember the last time Will Power was that far off the pace, at least besides crash damage. Yeah, well, well he lost a lap on the on the opening incident. You know, so true, it, it's, true. it's tough to tough to make up a lap. We didn't, you know, we didn't have a a, a lengthy full course caution during the race. You know, but uh, I forgot but interesting, you lost lap on the the first on, on the opening incident. Yeah. yeah, so that 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 put him behind. Um, so, you know, again, um, another interesting thing coming out: the Sage Karam was brought in to take that uh, spots at the Carlin team that was. Uh, it was for um, Pato Award. Pato's off to run Formula 2. So Sage Karam is, you know, cooked up, uh, brought a sponsor on board. It's a, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but it's a, it's a company that provides storage, a storage, storage solutions. A yeah, smart it's, it's shop self-storage. That's, that sounds right. Yeah, pretty, they have pretty colors, you know. Uh, nice car. Sage, you know, he the Carlin car isn't the best. Sage is a little rusty on road courses, but he, uh, you know, he qualified last or next to last. Um, but he kept the car off the wall all day, did a decent job, um, you know, moved up a couple spots due to attrition. Um, but overall, Carlin was pretty pleased with it, and they're bringing him back for Iowa. And then in the other Carlin car at Iowa, um, in in the ride that uh, would be that would have been Chilton's, except Chilton doesn't like to do ovals anymore, we're going to have um, Connor Daly. So we'll have an All-American Carlin lineup uh, coming up next weekend at Iowa. And these are these are two... Drivers that both, um, you know, have just been part-time for 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 a variety of reasons, but they're two drivers that are really fan favorites. A lot of folks like both these drivers, so that's going to be pretty exciting to see both those guys in the car there. So, and then let's talk about Simon Pagano, Scott Dixon, and, and Rossi tightening up the points battle here. Um, and New Garden's still ahead by, I think, just four points now because uh, 
Rossi finished a position ahead of him. Uh, Scott Dixon uh, was wonderful in the race. Uh, he was catching Simon at a, at, a, at a remarkable clip late in the race when they come up on lap traffic, and it almost looked like Scott was going to get him before that last caution, although I think that uh, uh, Simon was close enough to the checkers that he wouldn't have caught him anyway with or without the caution. But uh, it's going to be a strong championship battle between you know Newgarden, um, Newgarden Rossi, and Simon Pagano in the mix now, and Dixon. Now, we could just about say that probably Power and Sato are just about eliminated from the championship. They're not mathematically eliminated, um, but they are pretty far back now. Uh, Sato had a miserable day where his car exploded. <laughs> it's, yep. I've, never seen, I've never seen an engine, a Honda engine just blow up like that uh, you know the old car was engulfed in flames and poor old Sada was lucky to get out of there um so <laughs> he said yeah i think we had an engine problem you know in his nice cool calm voice but uh speaking of Sato being cool and calm another interesting story from the weekend was uh Sato and sebastian bourdais getting in a little bit of a shoving match um after 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 um, third practice session which is really out of character and even after the fact, Sato said, I don't even know what that was about. I, you know, I don't even know why I was so mad. Um, so interesting, just interesting stuff. But uh, uh, we're off to Iowa next. Iowa, the short, boring, five-eighths of, of a mile oval. Um, they're going to give the cars additional boost. The, the, pretty much the qualifying, qualifying boost at, at Indy. Is what they're going to run. So they'll be running close to 700 horsepower, which will pretty much mean they won't be able to hold it wide open all the way around. They're going to have to do some lifting, maybe a little braking in traffic. So it should put up an interesting race. But Richard, who do you kind of like for the for Iowa? Rossi. Okay, Rossi. Rossi's been good on the short ovals. I, I remember him at Phoenix. Uh, last year, where he started way in the back, and then people were saying you couldn't, yeah. no, nobody could, nobody could pass in the new car except Rossi, yeah. and he passed some 14, 15 cars. So uh, Rossi's a good pick. Seth, I'm gonna say Ryan Hunter Ray. Okay, yeah, Hunter Ray's won at Iowa a couple times. Uh, another guy that's won at Iowa is uh, Joseph Newgarden. He had a very dominating performance. I don't know if you recall. The, the one where he was, it was after the Texas accident where he broke his wrist. He, he had a dominating win in Iowa driving with a broken wrist. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick Joseph and then I'm going to turn my attention to some more silly season rumors. And the whole IndyCar silly season revolves around Rossi and everybody wants to put Rossi in a Penske car. Uh, and of course, with Will Power having these troubles, everybody is suddenly wants Will Power out of a Penske car. I, I, per, I personally don't see uh, Will being shown the door at Penske. Certainly not. He's still. Uh, I mean, if, if you think about it, the dude has won 31 races since uh, since 2010. 31 races this decade. He's won more IndyCar races than any other Penske driver. You know, the only the only Penske drivers with more wins. Than Will Power, or Mark Donahue, who drove in a couple different series, and Brad Keselowski, who uh, obviously NASCAR has a longer schedule, plus he supplements with Xfinity. So, but as far as IndyCar drivers, Will Power is the winningest Penske IndyCar driver in the team's history. I can't see them 
you know, ha- letting him go after having a couple of off races. So, but um, again, there's still talk that oh, Penske will expand to four cars. Uh, Andretti and and Honda are quite confident that they are going to be able to retain Rossi. But here's the interesting wrinkle that came out this weekend. Evidently, Smith Peterson Racing, an Arrow Racing team has made a substantial offer to Alexander Rossi for his services next year. Mm. Which makes me wonder who they're uh, looking to get rid of. Obviously, they like Hinchcliffe, but, uh, and I like Hinchcliffe, too, quite a bit. But the, the simple fact is the guy's been with the team, oh, what, five years? And won exactly two races, I believe. Maybe three. Um so I, I don't know if Hinch would be on the outs, or my my other thought is that Erickson's just on a one-year contract uh, because he is still retaining that uh, Alfa Romeo test driving. Yeah. So maybe maybe Erickson's just on a one-year contract and they're looking for somebody um, to just kind of really get in there. Uh, but I don't. I mean, of the <coughs> available offers to uh, to Rossi, I would I would say the Arrow Smith Peterson one is likelihood of happening is quite low just my thought but uh, <laughs> uh you know <laughs> you know when they say substantial amount I, I don't know what that is i don't know what's substantial for the from the arrow team compared to what uh, what penske or andretti could probably offer him so but rossi is not going to say anything even though he's asked every week has he made a decision yet he'll tell you not yet i'll let you know by the end of the year so <laughs> And he doesn't mean the end of the season. He means the end of the year. So I expect an announcement around Christmas so or, or this, this fall for sure. So, um, But on to Iowa, uh, tight championship battle. And so, Seth, the Cup Series was in Kentucky. The last couple races of Kentucky have been a little bit of a snoozer. Well, last year was That's a definite, snooze, definite snoozer. <laughs> um this race is pretty good. I mean, they put the um, that adhesion the stuff PJ on, on the PJ1, the glue. They put the glue on the track, and then it seemed to spice up the racing along with the package. Now, there's folks like, I don't know if you ever read Matt Weaver, who yes. writes for Auto Week, um, and his, his whole thought process on what NASCAR is doing with the PJ1 and the, the different downforce packages is that they're creating artificial excitement. Well. You know, and sure. whoa, 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 whoa. if I may, uh, the PJ one specifically that I want to say that's not NASCAR's decision. Granted, NASCAR has to give consent, but that is SMI's decision, not NASCAR. OK, but but overall, OK, the, and, and some of the drivers are on board with this. It was not real racing. It's manufactured excitement or manufactured entertainment and even some folks in NASCAR will tell you the entertainment factor trumps any kind of you know driving stuff I would, would you agree disagree with that I mean it you know auto racing at the end of the day is a show uh, it, it, y- it, need, yes it needs no. to be yes entertaining and no. yes and no there's different aspects uh, that I believe the drivers and Matt Weaver are right on and then there's different aspects that I honestly believe are improving the racing, and I mean the sport, not the entertainment part uh, overall, and that it's mainly the same drivers over and over that are complaining about it, 
But then you have a bunch of drivers who are actually running up front that haven't run up front either for years or they haven't been in the Cup Series as of yet, that they don't mind it. So I'm, I honestly am conflicted on it because there's the notables that we've followed for years in this sport that have essentially, uh, essentially cried foul on this package. Yet they're the ones either always winning, like Kyle Busch, or they're the ones that have always won and this year are struggling, like Kevin Harvick. Then you have other people like Alex Bowman, Eric Almirola, Chase Elliott, Matty Bandetto, uh, uh, Joey Logano that don't have a problem with this package. Or if they do, they're not voicing it as loudly as the others. So I'm honestly conflicted because I'm almost getting two different stories from the drivers themselves. Yeah, exactly. Of course, my my whole thought of it's, you know, the package is the same for everyone, you know. So, so the the sport there is how do you exploit it to the best of your ability, or how do you adjust your driving style to, you know, to make that happen to get the most out of it. You know, I, I think there's still sporting there, and I don't think the whole thing is manufactured entertainment, but it certainly is producing races that are more entertaining. And and at the end of the day, if if folks aren't entertained. They're not going to come back. You know, we we already have attendance and television issues in in American motorsport. Um, you know, IndyCar and and uh, NASCAR. Uh, you know, it's on, not exclusive to one or the other. So uh, on you the know, bright making, side, on the bright, on the bright side, uh, Fox uh, uh, released their overall ratings for NASCAR, um, specifically the Cup Series for their half of the season, and it's up three percent from last year. It's up from also the year before that as well. I think it's the highest since 2016 or 2015, which, granted, 3% is not that big of a jump, but at least it's movement in the right direction. I'm sorry, Seth. I missed the end of your comment there, but I, I, I really agree with what you're trying to say there. Now, Richard, what are your thoughts on this? The, the viewership and the, the you know, manipulating the races. Um, yep, yep. I mean, yeah, as you say, it's an entertainment. It's an entertainment industry, and you've got to entertain. Um, you know, some of the cup races we've had recently just don't cut it. Um, but the, you've still got to have this sort of purity aspect of it, haven't you? You know, you can't... Um, you, you can't pull the wool over the spectator's eyes for long enough. You know, you, you do get the, the certain... Um, contingent of NASCAR fans that will, will turn up and, and watch the race no matter what, but then uh, that's a very small number. You know, the, the numbers have been declining, so you, you've got to do something to get people into the stands and to get people... I mean, to a certain extent, I would go as far as to say the most important thing is getting people into the stands. If you get people into the stands, then the TV viewership will come because well, they're that... the people that are watching at home and on you know the weekend when they're not at the track. Well, that's exactly what NASCAR's trying to do. Uh, a lot of what they've put into this package is based on feedback from their fan council, which, uh, granted, the questions that they ask might, in a sense, be loaded questions like, <laughs> do, you, do you prefer close racing or winning by 
five seconds or stuff like that. Yeah. But at the same time, they are asking the fans what they want. And they are attempting to give the fans what they want, which in theory would mean that the fans are going to come and sit in the stands. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? But again, I, I, I think you have to be a little bit careful with the fan counts and all these concepts. And this isn't being disrespectful to anybody, but how should we put this carefully? Do the fans really know what they want? You know, Are they the best judge for what the racing should be? Like, yes, you are selling a product to them, but... Do they know what the good? Do you know? It's it's trying not to sound. Well, um, I have an example for this. The All Star race last year, the fans at first loved it. They loved how close the racing was and how anyone could win. The fact that hell, even AJ Allmendinger on an oval almost won the All Star race. Yeah. That being said, as soon as certain drivers, uh, who I know for a fact. When they got out of the car, they loved it. And then two or three days later, after the team meeting, they hated it. Yeah. As soon as those drivers started opening their mouths, the fan base flipped on a dime. So yep. do the fans uh, yeah, it, really it know what they want? I think yeah. they think they know what they want at times. Exactly. Yeah, I think that some aspects of racing have uh, spoiled to current generation. And, and I'll, I'll tell you that, that pack racing is one of them. Uh, a lot of the, t- and it's specifically, you know, in the IndyCar series, you, you know, people were, were spoiled with 8,500s with hundred, with, you know, literally hundreds of passes throughout the field when they had the, um, uh, you know, the 2013 package till they, till they went to the, the different air kits. There were so many passes and now everybody, Oh, the Indy 500 is boring. I can't tell you how many times I'm watching a, you know, race and looking at the, you know, looking at looking at the, like a live chat or a live tweet or, or on a bulletin board, and people say, "Oh, this race is boring." Well, even there are 75 passes through the field because yeah. the the leader has a gap. The race is such you know boring. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And even and these are the same people that also talk about the good old days. You yeah. know, the good old days of kart. How many kart races were won by more than a lap? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or how Fittipaldi many yeah. NASCAR races, yeah, Fittipaldi won the Indy 500 by two laps in 93. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Rick Mears did the same thing and, you know, won by two laps at one point in time. Yeah, yeah. Three cars. Well, I was uh, helping a friend out yesterday who was doing some research. Uh, going back to – let's go back to Daytona for a second when Spire Motorsports won. They have zero manufacturer support, and he was trying to figure out the last time in a truly independent team like Spire had won – we had to go back to 1986 when Morgan Shepard won in Ron Bouchard's car. Prior to that, the most recent example was Jody Ridley at Dover in 1981, a race in which it was a 500-mile race at Dover, imagine that today, that they had to stop scoring twice to let the cars catch up because they were lapsed down and the leader had blew his engine. Imagine uh, that. Uh, really, the leader, leader blew the engine, so they just had to stop the race till everybody else got back in the lead lap. That is incredible. Twice. Twice. Wow. Imagine something. Uh, like I, yeah, I remember today. those 500 miles at Dover would be. That, that's an all-day affair right there. Good old you know, I, 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 I remember some of them getting close to six hours in length, the old, the old Dover races. But let's talk about the Kentucky race. Um, 
good day for the Chip Ganassi team and Kyle Busch, huh? I mean, they've... Uh, Kurt Busch. It, it, yeah, Kurt Busch. <laughs> my, my bad. I, I'm so used to saying Kyle Busch won because he, you know, he does nothing but win races. But uh, it, it's good to see Kurt go ahead and get a win, get himself into the chase. It's been a while since Ganassi's been to victory lane. What, what two years? <sighs> I don't. I don't think. Uh, won last year, they, I don't think Larson they, they, won last they went year. Winless last year. And so, so you got to go to like Mich- Michigan two years ago when Larson won. Correct. Or no, yeah, Richmond so. two years ago. Okay. Uh, also, on top of that, the last time the one car won for Ganassi, uh, never. <laughs> the last time there, uh, the. The last time their car won, that was not the number 42. You have to go back to Jamie McMurray when he subbed for Sterling Marlin in 2002. Okay. So when the number one car won? No, when a car not number 42 (coughs) won. Oh, for Chip Ganassi. For Chip Ganassi, yeah, right. How long have they had the one? The one used to belong to... DEI. DEI, yep, and that. Steve Park used to drive that. Steve... Jamie took it over in 2010. Uh, at that time, it was Earnhardt Ganassi Racing, but the number one was specifically owned by Teresa Earnhardt. So it's mm-hmm. kind of that where, yes, it was a Ganassi car, but it wasn't Ganassi car situation. Yeah. Now, just on a related side note, are, are Teresa's hands fully out of DEI? Is DEI fully... Um, integrated into Ganassi now and, and uh, no, long, no longer they're exists. They're two as completely a... separate companies. Uh, Teresa Earnhardt still owns DEI. It's now a museum, a uh, horse ranch. Uh, yeah, but it's they, no longer it's no longer a race team. It's no longer question. a race team. Although they Correct. do have yeah. uh, some race team capabilities that, uh, like a seven post shaker, a pull down rig. That they rent out to the various truck and Xfinity teams and even some cup teams. Yeah. Well, speaking of DEI, uh, I saw a trailer for a documentary coming up. In the blink uh, of an eye. In the blink of an eye. It's a documentary based on Michael Waltrip, Michael Waltrip's career and then how he had this – I guess he described himself as the you know the highest – the the greatest moment of his life and the worst moment of his life happening within seconds of one another. It it, it looks like the film is very well done. I enjoy the trailer. It's produced by Monster Energy. I do know that. Okay. Did you get a chance to see the trailer? I have seen the trailer. Right? Yeah. yeah I it know looks good. I'm, I'm, the, I'm looking forward to it. I know they changed a couple things, at least on the poster, and that's because uh, – or. Yeah, the poster, because of Therese Earnhardt, for example, uh, Michael Waltrip's number 15 Napa Chevrolet, uh, the picture depicted is a uh, Pontiac. Uh, Again, that's because of Therese's copyright uh, habit. How how can she copyright Chevrolet? How how can she copyright the paint scheme? Oh, the paint scheme, okay. But why? So the why did they put it on a Pontiac? Because it's not the same car. Jeez. So they put that paint scheme on a different car. Yeah. For the poster, it's. Oh yeah. Sure. It's, yeah. It's, it's 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 ridiculous because you would think it's. Yeah. If you're you're doing a documentary film, 
Couldn't they? Couldn't they just use an actual shot of the car? Because there's they're they're using archival footage that she I, doesn't own. I don't exactly know uh, what the process is as far as getting a uh, archival photo of the car. Uh, at least in this case, I'm sure there's a reason why they didn't use it, uh, but I don't know. It just, it seems all a little ridiculous to me because you can. You know, in all fairness, it does involve Teresa, so yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Teresa do seem to go hand in hand lately, unfortunately. True, true. Yeah, I remember she tried to sue what her uh, Dale's other son had a Carrie. company. Gary, he was selling what furniture and and uh, mobile no, homes or something. No, he was selling uh, homes. Mobile, mobile homes, homes, right? Yeah, modular homes, and he called it, it was Earnhardt Mobile Home Sales or something like that. Uh, she tried the to Earnhardt sue Collection. Right, so she tried to sue him for calling Earnhardt Collection, although his last name is Earnhardt. How dare you? Know what I mean? And and and, and he was born Earnhardt, and, right? And there's a whole she, backstory to it, but it's good. It's a topic for another time, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's get get back to the Kentucky race. Uh, what other interesting things we have coming out of there? I, I thought there were some really good battles throughout the field and throughout the day. Obviously, uh, we had we had the late caution that gave us uh, that that um, you know side by side overtime win that the fans enjoy. Had everybody up on their feet at the end, but uh, I mean the race leading up to the final caution was really good all day long, don't you think? It was. Uh, I- I do want to say I'm still confused about Daniel Suarez and his uh, crew chief's pitch strategy. He dominated the, f- the first half of stage one. Then when everybody pitted under yellow, the crew chief decided to go with four tires. He went from leading to being 17th, didn't even make it back into the top 10, uh, and then got busted for speeding, went a lap down, and somehow rallied the fish inside the top 10. It was just a confusing night for that team. I mean, do you think that they maybe figured everybody was going to go with four tires? Barely anyone went with two tires, so I highly don't. I highly doubt why they went with four tires. Ah, there had to be some. Somebody must have thought it was a good idea, and then after you know, there's a lot of good ideas that turn out not to be good ideas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? It's true. True. Uh, true. Otherwise. True. Otherwise, it was an interesting night overall. Uh, Hendrick seemed like they were out to lunch again, but to be fair, uh, Chase Elliott had two different issues, a flat tire early, and then on the last restart, he got put up into the wall, which is why he ended up 15th. Uh, William Byron seemed like he was going to have a good night until he was penalized for a restart violation for beating Clint Boyer to the line, I want to say. However, I do want to mention the reason why he beat Clint Boyer to the line, he was being pushed by Eric Almirola, Clint's teammate. <laughs> to be fair, NASCAR can't judge <laughs> how someone beats another driver to the end of the restart zone line. But I do want to say kudos to Stuart Haas if they came up with that strategy on the fly. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of it was kind of wild because you don't expect someone to jump to start from the second row. You know what I mean? Yeah. You usually might be the guy the guy up front accelerates quick. See, I thought that whole thing was kind of just really, really, really weird. But uh, I mean, whatever. It is what it is. You know. And Eric Amarola, you know, hats off to him if they pulled that off as a pretty sneaky one there. Uh, so. Uh, Clint Boyer, uh, not Clint Boyer. Uh, 
Kyle Busch even remarked on the radio that they uh, penalized the wrong guy, that they should have penalized either Boyer for uh, break-checking the outside line or Almirola for pushing Byron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, break-checking break is the oldest trick in the book. You know, it, it, it goes back to the early days of racing, break-checking the field on a restart. So, um, so Trucks and Xfinity were in action, and there was an interesting thing with uh, – Stuart Friesen. A, tr- a truck getting confiscated. So, Seth, go ahead and uh, let, let's talk about the truck getting confiscated and tell us how the, the team is getting their truck back. Well, Stuart Friesen and his Hallmark Racing, Hallmark Friesen Racing team, uh, when they unloaded for opening inspection, NASCAR saw several things they didn't like. Uh, the uh, firewall was too thin, too high. The floorboard was too high. On top of that, the passenger side was bowed out, and the rear bumper was curved. A number of different violations, but the official violation is a firewall issue, or at least that's how it was classified. NASCAR confiscated the truck and then put it on display at the track for all of the other teams to come and see. Uh, They are not getting any additional penalties. He had to run his backup, and start from the rear. He was able to climb up and finish second, in part due to people not managing their fuel mileage. But overall, uh, it did. It will affect the team in the long run because it is an expensive truck. I mean, these trucks, I think, cost $140,000 just to start and park. So it is an expensive investment that they lost. Uh from what I've been told, what they were trying to do is essentially create tunnels under the floorboard uh, that lead to the truck arm for ground effects to make the truck faster, which... Well, 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 here's the thing. Obviously, someone has been doing it without getting caught, and they just happened to either go too far and got caught, or they tried to do it in a different way and got, got caught. Ground uh, effects in truck Ingram, racing. I never never yeah. thought I'd see today. Ground effects in uh now now we're we're bringing ground effects back to Formula 1. Supposedly. As well, yeah, and, supposedly and, and yeah, we'll have a little time to talk about that here after we finish up this Stuart Friesen story. Cuz that, that that's a good story as well. Now, I do want to mention real quick Tyler Ankrum uh did get the win. He's now locked into the playoffs as is uh, Ross Chastain, who's now in the top 20 in points, that actually knocked out both of the uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports drivers from the playoffs as of right now with three races left in the regular season. Going back to Stuart Friesen, uh, they will eventually get the truck back. Uh, NASCAR took four trucks, including the one they confiscated, back to R&D just for a further uh, breakdown. Uh, Stuart Friesen... Uh, backup truck, the confiscated truck, Tyler Ankrum's race-winning truck, and I want to say it was one of the Ford trucks were, were all taken back, and this is routine that NASCAR will take trucks back to R&D uh, to just go through them with a fine-tooth comb every now and then uh, just because they want to get a gauge as to where the competition is and stuff like that. Although Stuart Friesen, uh, his confiscated truck is probably going to be sent back to his team in pieces. 
As as well they should, yep. So you told me they're even taking the decals off. That's what I was told. <laughs> I mean that's but I you know what, you break the rules, you pay the price. So it's it's interesting though, because I was like we were talking on the on the pre show before uh, we went on the air. Um, you know, how can, you know, the, the team makes an investment to buy this and how can NASCAR just confiscate it? But like Richard, Richard explained, um, just by contract, by rule, once the, the, the car is entered for the race and, and in the race facility, the car is the property of NASCAR and they can confiscate it. So and I find that to be interesting. Is that is that the same in other forms of racing as well? Do you uh, know, Richard? It, typically not, no. I, okay. It is in NASCAR and it is in I want to say some other American, uh, like grassroots racing, because at some short tracks, it varies from short track to short track and series to series, but at some short tracks, if you can protest the winner and it's found that they have an illegal motor or illegal uh, car, the person who is protesting receives that engine and car. Well, that's interesting. So it varies... (laughs) from uh, essentially series to series, track to track, because each one has their own rule or their own quirk. Not as many have it as there used to be, but there are still some that still employ that, especially in dirt racing. Well, I mean, that'll keep you from cheating, knowing that, uh, you know, somebody else can go home with your car. Or engine. Or engine, yeah. Of course, then what do you what do you do? You get an illegal engine. You're not going to bring that to the track next week. <laughs> exactly. Now, like you said, the Xfinity Series was also in action, and I'll just put it uh, real easy. Cole Custer dominated night. That there was nothing to it. Uh, otherwise, he led 88 laps. Christopher Bell led 72. The, the those two, they're two of the quote-unquote big three in the Xfinity Series. They dominated the night. Uh, Cole Custer ended up on top once the sun went down, although he did fall off the car celebrating, which was a awkward and funny moment in victory lane. I, I did see that, yeah, where he fell off the car. I, mean, I, I can think of a, a number of really funny victory lane moments, and some of them at Kentucky. I don't know if you remember the time that uh, – uh, Keselowski won the race, and he broke the champagne bottle and cut his hand. Well, there was that, and then there was also uh, at Nashville when they used to give the guitar, uh, Kyle Busch smashing the guitar trying to be funny, and it wasn't that funny, but I digress. Who strike me as a comedian, that chap? Uh, no, yeah, no, nobody found that to be very funny because that's uh, those guitars are beautiful, and that, uh, you know, when you're... I know it, it, it'd be like winning the grandfather clock in Martinsville and smashing it. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it's, it, it shows absolutely no respect. So, but that's, that was years now, ago when Kyle was rowdy. Now, uh, one other name I want to mention, at least from the Xfinity series, Ryan Truex. It's his first race since Phoenix way back at the beginning of the season. Uh, so he hasn't been in the car for about uh, three, four months now. Gets in the car, finishes one lap down. Again, that's because of the big three dominating and it being a, basically a caution-free race. And finishes in eighth, which is not bad for being out of the race car for about four or five months. 
No, not bad, not bad at all. Yeah, and I just I I, I kind of like Ryan Truex. I think the kid is pretty good. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't believe he's the equal of his brother, and I don't I don't think he will be. But uh, he he's kid's got potential. I wish he had you know more uh, more starts on his schedule. Exactly. Uh, one other piece of news that came out from the Xfinity series uh, earlier today, actually, uh, AJ Allmendinger will be running the Watkins Glen Xfinity race in the second college car. On top of that, uh, it, JD Motorsports, which is the former team of Ross Chastain, uh, announced that they will have NASCAR Next alumni and NASCAR Drive for Diversity alumni, Ryan Vargas, making his Xfinity debut at Iowa uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, his sponsor, I do want to mention, is called Cranio Care Bears. It's a, non-pro- a non-profit that helps uh, families and children that struggle with craniosynostosis. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, you, probably, it, you probably didn't, but it's <laughs> probably okay. Didn't. Uh, a condition that causes problems with ch- a child's brain and skull growth. And the reason why this hits close to home for Vargas, at 11 months old, he had to undergo surgery to correct problems as a result of that uh, disorder. Okay, well, good stuff. I always always like to see the uh, nonprofits getting involved. And, and, you know, because we've seen seen some of this with with some other folks, with uh, Pippa Mann especially, uh, over at the Indy 500, where we raise raise awareness for causes, and, and there have been other good ones, you know, along the way. You know, racing for kids against, you know, racing for kids against drugs. And remember who drove that car? Uh, depending on the series, is either Sean <laughs> Robinson or Jeremy Jer- Mayfield. Jer- Jeremy Mayfield. Jeremy Mayfield. Yep, yep. I just find that to be ironic. And but, now we uh, have. Uh, but I but I digress. And now we have uh, the Brakes nonprofit which is uh, to try to prevent uh, teens from using their cell phone while driving, which also has been on several trucks off and on in the past few years. All right, good stuff. So we're off to New Hampshire next, is that correct? New New Hampshire, not one of my favorite tracks, but I'm going to go ahead and... They they what? They will be putting the PJ1 down in three of the four grooves. Well, we'll see what happens there. I just uh, my my issue with New New Hampshire is more of the profile of the track. I just I, I I can't describe why I just never have liked that track. It's just I don't dislike it. It's not one of my favorites. But I'm gonna pick Kevin Harvick because this guy is way overdue for a win. And Richard, who do you like for New Hampshire? William Byron. All right, and Seth. <sighs> um, I'm gonna go with Kevin Harvick. I picked Harvick. Oh, come on. <laughs> fine. You have to pick somebody fine, else. Fine. You, you can have Clint Boyer. No, I'll, I'll go with Almarola. All right, there you go. There you go. Go with Almarola. So we've got about four minutes left, but I do want to get back to the topic of the ground effects mm-hmm. coming back to Formula One. So we've – um, potentially, potentially, but there – I saw a mock-up today yep. of what the car may look like. Mm-hmm. Um and it looks, uh, you know, it looks like uh, the 2007 Champ Car. Yeah. For 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 it's like, it looks like look, look, looks like the DPO one, you know, the panels yeah, car. So. Yeah, the 
the, the, the low nose, going back to a low nose, um, simplified front wing, blah, 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 usual sort of stuff there. Uh, but as you say, the big effect is, uh, or the, the big change is to have a grand effect style car, which the concept behind there is the diffuser uh, in the car is the part that, or the component, excuse me, that generates the majority of the downforce. So you're less susceptible to a wake off a car in front and uh, you you they say the number is at the moment a car loses 40 to 50 percent of its downforce when it's following another car the computer simulations show that uh, this uh, uh, ground effect car would lose uh, five to ten percent of its uh, downforce when it was following another car so you could follow closer so you'd have closer racing but the usual sort of thing we've heard for the last 20 years when they've tried to come up with new regulations in Formula 1. Uh, right. Well, er- everything old is new again because, you know, ground effects were all the rage beginning in 1978. Oh, and, and they, they, they you know, certainly work. The only reason they were taken away was for safety. Because they, exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, I think it was eight, 83 they mandated the flat bottom. Correct, yeah. Um, and they, they've not turned back from that. So we've seen more and more top-generated downforce in the cars. Now, the IndyCar series uses... Bottom-generated downforce, particularly the current chassis, has got quite a bit of bottom-generated ground force. So if you you were to just kind of look at how the IndyCars run uh, close together, you get a a bit of an idea of what, what the Formula One cars might be able to do in the in the wake of another car. So, but again, we'll 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 have to see which regulations actually make the book. You know, and again, the the mock-up is. All fine and well, and it's a pretty little drawing, but uh, until we see it on a real car and on a track, uh, you know, with 19 other cars out there, then we'll see how it works. So Exactly. 100%. Yep. Yep. But that is the end of our show. So uh, I would like to thank you, Richard, and I want to thank you, Seth. Uh, Gray, you're off on vacation. Hope you're having a nice time. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio and Spreaker. And I want to thank all you folks that tune in and listen to us week after week. This is, uh, again, this is Drafting the Circus. My name is Frank Santoroski. Good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.